The Bible was written many thousands of years ago, but when most people think about the good old days of Christianity, they're thinking about the 1800s or maybe the 1900s, and they're thinking about their grandma and grandpa and going to church on Sunday morning. At least that's me. So what's with this return in the last decade or so to the ancient Near Eastern context of the Bible, and how much weight should we really be giving that? Well, welcome into this episode of My Strange Bible. You know, was the Bible really written to you and me? Was it written to our grandparents? Was it written to our parents? Why was the Bible written thousands of years ago? You know, have you ever thought about these questions, Alex? I uh, I think about it quite often, which is why I think you and I like to. It, it's funny, growing up, I always just kind of looked at the New Testament as interesting because I thought that it only applied to us. But looking at the Old Testament helps so much more when you understand the context behind it. And the context isn't like I heard growing up that... Um, uh, that the old time music is supposed to be music from the 40s and 50s and 60s. And so um, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, the music. I forget what the verse says. I should have had this ready, but music of a certain sound or uh, so that's what that's what the writers in, uh, you know, 3000 years ago were talking. They were talking about 1970s, you know, 80s music, the good old stuff. Right. Um, so right. that's one that's one way to look at context. But uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a fun topic. What makes it fun, because there's not just one context. Well, I guess we should probably define what we mean by context. And I'm sure Steve will give an elaborate answer, the man with all the words. But with me being the man of the man of just a couple words, um, context is just looking when a thing was written, um, the why it was written at that time, to who it was written, who wrote it, just those kind of simple questions. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but so there's not one context for the Bible. There's... There's a plethora of context for the Bible of why it was written this way and, you know, what book of the Bible, who wrote this book of the Bible, who were they writing to? And so on, and we'll touch those subjects. But yeah, I think about it all the time. It makes it interesting because every time you get to a new spot in the Bible, you can ask yourself, reset and say, okay, what's the context of this passage? Right. Yeah. Talking about the music and such, it reminds me of a Babylon Bee article <laughs> I read one time that was like, if the King James Bible was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. <laughs> I've seen that before. Amen. That's a great Amen. one. That's a good yeah, one. No, it is. Oh, it is. Well, and look, it, it actually, it's so funny because as good satire does, it points to mm. a deeper problem, right? <laughs> a a sort of a sort of deeper uh, reality, a situation where we are separated by many millennia from the original writing of the Bible. And, and many people, like skeptics over the years, have wanted to use those sorts of points to cast doubt on the reliability of the Bible. That's not even what we're talking about in this episode, but the Mm -hmm. point remains is that even that does not hold up because we have a plethora of, of evidence that what was originally written down is what we still have preserved for us today. Okay. So, so we have, uh, thousands of years now of, of textual criticism and scholarship that leads us to the conclusion that whatever the original words were we have a faithful reliable representation of those in in all of our bibles today so that's not even a question right we can we can back the question up to say well is what we're reading true but we don't have to wonder that what we're reading is what was originally being written down we know that with as much historical certainty as we can possibly have and so we are forced 
now, though, to, to deal with the reality that, okay, we have these words preserved for us, uh, presumably these words that, that you know, at least me and you believe and many others probably under the, the sound of our voices believe are the inspired, inerrant, and infallible words of God. And yet they were written at a time when they didn't have any conception of modern science, when they talked about things that we know mental processing happens in our brain. And for ancient people, that mental processing happened in your gut, which is funny because we actually still use that language today of, of, of your yeah. gut, but they would literally point to like, <laughs> like your, your, your reins or your bowels, uh, and, and, and your mm. kidneys, um, you know, to actually, uh, to actually come across, uh, in the Bible, that's how they put it. That's how they would say it. And, and so, it's like, what do you do with that? What do you do with the text that was written thousands of years ago that doesn't seem like it can be immediately relatable to us today, and yet it's supposed to be the eternal words of God? I mean, in the Psalms, God literally says, I have magnified my word above my name. Now, especially if you know the name theology in in, in the Bible, that is just a insane statement, right? God, God magnifies his word word for us. And so we are to take the word of God and to live by the word of God. And yet it was written so long ago. So how do we deal with that is the kind of question that we're exploring today. What do we, how do we get to the original ancient Near Eastern context of the Bible? And, and what, what do we even mean by that? Maybe we should start there. Do you want to kind of come in with some thoughts here before we dive further? Yeah, I'm going to come in with a basic one for you to definitely leap off from. And Again, any topic that Steve and I discuss could be a 10-minute back-and-forth banter, or it could be a 10-hour long that should be divided into a 10-segment uh, classroom <laughs> session. Um, <clears throat> but even just having just the basic knowledge, even if you say, man, I don't have the time to like open up this book or listen to this podcast to understand everything about near, you know, ancient middle eastern history and all that like it's a lot and you can and it's as deep as you want it to go basically but just generally to kind of leapfrog into this um episode that we're doing if you just understand that if you haven't already done so get your thinking that when people wrote this back then it wasn't uh, as we kind of say god downloading this into someone's brain and them going through a chance and writing it down. These are people who definitely inspired by God, but they didn't know what the world was going to be like a year from then, and let alone what's going to happen in our day. So when they were writing, their thoughts were geared towards the people around them. Who are they writing to? What They probably had their family in mind, you know, the Israelites as a whole. It, it, so they had everything in mind their day just like someone who wrote during the civil war isn't thinking about anything that's going to be happening in the 20 or 21st century that's right if you're someone who's like in the civil war writing about you're gonna write about what you're seeing then to the people like back home and so that's kind of just having that little fundamental knowledge just really can change your perspective on okay like even though there's truths in the bible and it's written for us it definitely for sure was not written to us it yeah. was written to the people that the person was writing was writing to so I think that's just a good starting point. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I so I totally agree. So um, it, it's interesting. There's a temptation when we're when we're looking at this again to discredit the biblical writers because of when God chose for, for them to, to to write. And and so I, I think one of the things that we want to do when we're when we're examining this is start from the assumption that if God really is God. 
He is the creator of the universe. He's able to communicate with humanity, and he wanted to communicate with humanity in a specific way and chose a specific time and specific people through which to communicate. Then God knew what he was doing. So I think we have to sort of start there. Right, We have to leap from that foundational aspect of God knew what he was doing. He inspired the correct people. He, he moved these people. This is what the, the language that um, I believe it's in Second, Second Peter. I, I can never remember if it's First Peter or Second Peter that, that, that says this, but it, it basically says that um, you know that, that people were essentially moved by the Holy Spirit, right to, to write what, what they wrote. And so um, I have a, a way of understanding that. I believe that, that, that God essentially put people in the positions that they would need to be in in order to write what God wanted them to write. And sort of led them, and just like he is sovereign over all creation, he was sovereign over the creation of the Bible, and he knew what he was doing, okay? If he wanted the Bible to be written during the 21st century so that we could be up to date on whatever modern science is in the 21st <laughs> century, he could have done that. He chose not to do that. He chose for the Bible to be written <clears throat> very near to the time of the creation of the world, on my view at least. And so... Um, we have to deal with that. And, and so what that might mean... And oh, let, me yeah, just, let me just censor some just real quick there. Um, you hear that a lot. Well, why didn't he choose to have have all of that happen now when we have cameras, we have this and that? Mm-hmm. And who knows what the future will hold, but let's fast forward, heck, like a million years into the future for all still around by then. Do you think communication is going to be texting on a phone? Of course or, not. You know, it's, it's not going to be like that at yeah. all. So people a million years now will say, oh, why didn't God just do this? And when you look at it, you've heard it said before, God really started pretty early on in our human civilization, mm-hmm. which when you think about it, kind of makes sense. Oh, 100%. And and this is a tremendous benefit for us as well, I think, because and it's kind of hard to talk about this very long before you just end up in the weeds, unfortunately, but that's the nature of this, that's the nature <laughs> yes. of this kind of that's, thing. That's all we do. We should just change the name of the podcast to In the Weeds. In the Weeds. Yeah, because <laughs> we go there pretty quick, yes. don't we? Um, yes. You know, there's a lot of debate. So- Again, if you're familiar with this debate at all, a lot of the people who talk about the ancient Near Eastern worldview of the Bible um, have some very specific things they mean by that. Okay, one of the examples of something that they might mean is that there is a specific cosmology that the biblical writers held to, okay? A, a three-tiered cosmology. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast for you know the, the last few episodes and, and then just landing on this one, you may actually be quite surprised to hear me say, I actually don't take that view. I actually don't believe the Israelites believed in a three-tiered cosmology, okay? Because w- at least one reason I, I have for that is I actually think that it is that mindset that is reading modern questions and sensibility, ironically, into the biblical text. Okay, people who take that view of a a three-tiered ancient Near Eastern cosmology would want to say that I am reading a modern view of cosmology into the text, Mm -hmm. but I'm not. Now, there have been some that do that, right? There there are some, and I'll admit there are some passages of scripture that are kind of like, well, this is weird if it doesn't have, like, Mm -hmm. there's passages uh, of the Bible, in the Bible in, in Job that talk about how the earth hangs upon nothing. And it's like, wow, that's kind of weird because turns out that's kind of true. The earth does like hang upon nothing. Like that's a pretty poetic way of saying that, you know, the earth is just kind of floating in space, you know, or or floating in empty space Mm -hmm. uh, of some sort. There's no way that the biblical writer in his own power could know that. I don't think God would be like downloading that into his brain. I don't think that's how it works. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really have a great explanation, frankly. 
for why it's written that way. Um, but but it is what it is. Okay. But I, regardless, I don't I don't think that the writer necessarily had science in mind. I think what the writer is doing is looking around at the world around him and writing based on what he sees and what he describes, yeah. right, and, and what's around him. And so this is called a, a phenomenological perspective. And I I think that you have to understand uh, that a biblical writer is not thinking in terms of science when he's writing these descriptions. And so a lot of people criticize me because I'm a young earth creationist, and so a lot of people criticize me and say, well, you, you treat the, the Bible like it's a science textbook. And I'm like, no, actually— uh, there are creationists who do that. I actually want to distance myself from them. I don't treat the Bible like it's a science mm -hmm. textbook. Yeah. I want to read the text for what it is and what the text says. But if we're, but I don't want to treat just like I'm not treating the Bible like a modern science textbook. I'm also not treating it like an ancient science science textbook because it's not that. You're dealing with people who had a context for the world around them and they were writing based on what they saw, and those descriptions are what they are. Now, you can believe that that means that they're a three-tiered cosmology or whatever, and there are some people who are very adamant about that. I just don't, I think that takes it too far. I don't think the text actually says that. So that's what we're saying. When we're talking about this ancient Near Eastern context, it's a it's a vast field to, to, to navigate because I think some conservative Christians have totally discounted it. <clears throat> To their detriment, mm -hmm. but I think others have taken yeah. it so far that they're making the text say things that the text never intended to say. So it's a delicate balance, I think. It, yeah, I think that's really important. And it, granted, Steve and I might slip up from time to time. It's just words can get convoluted too. But Steve and I, at least in our hearts, we never want to say, "Hey, um, this science question that you have, well, it's in the Bible. Just, you know, you just got to find it, or you got to read it this way." Yeah. Or it, it, the Bible is not a scientific book. It, it meaning that it is not meant to teach us science it is not meant to teach us civics it is not there's definitely helpful things that are in there mm -hmm. but the bible is meant to do what the bible is meant to do and that's obviously it's more in this but essentially show us the story of the israelites all the way through jesus and then teach us about what jesus brought to the world mm -hmm. um essentially it's kind of bundled up in that one sentence and that's what the bible is and that's what steve and i you know that's what we do. So we can gather opinions from that um, over there about the origins of the earth and this and that. Um, but in the end, you know, that's that's what we're gathering from it. Um, and yeah, we can leave it up to your own devices too to what to, to pull from it. But um, I like what kind of Steve said, how, you know, some people read into it really heavily that all of science that you can gather is from like Genesis 1-2. And from that, you know, every single thing versus just kind of like what Steve was saying. Um, reading it and gathering what it actually says, not what you think it says. Yeah, and that's tough to do. And and Steve and I are guilty of you know probably reading the things the way we shouldn't, and that's tough. But we have a heart where we don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's exactly right. I, I couldn't have said that better myself. And it leads to like, it leads to some interesting things, right? So so we want to honor the ancient Near Eastern worldview. The ancient Near, we want to be mm. uh, the way Mike Kaiser yeah. used to say, you want to be in the world of the ancient Hebrew or the first century Israelite, right? You you want to you want to think about the world around them uh, the way that they did. The the sort of corollary to that is on the other side of things. You actually do have some rather interesting stuff where it's like, oh, like maybe God actually really does know what he's doing. And so uh, let me just give you a couple of really interesting examples. So um, there's a text of scripture that says the life of the flesh is in the blood. So long before modern science discovered that blood flow is what keeps us alive, that 
knowledge seems to be in the Bible. Knowledge of hand washing and actually cleansing before you mm. touch certain animals and, and before you eat and certain things like that. That knowledge was in the Bible. And yet, like, even before, like, like it was actually anathema. Like, there was a there was a scientist who, or a, I can't remember if he was a scientist or if he was actually a practicing doctor who was, um, like, barred from practicing or researching or whatever it was for suggesting that um, surgeons and people operating and doing work on, 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 on humans should wash their hands first. And yet like when it was discovered <laughs> that like all these people were dying and like the simple change was they washed their hands before they actually did the operation mm -hmm. so that the germs didn't get transferred. Like that was a huge modern discovery that like first hints of that are in the Bible. Here's another strange one, right? So uh, a buddy of mine named Tyler, he's pressed me on this point before uh, because again, he he takes a view, a very heavy ancient Near Eastern view of the Bible where, um, you know, he, he believes that, that, uh, that they had these beliefs that now we know better uh, in the modern mm -hmm. age. And so like they were obviously wrong. Um, in in the biblical uh, times, and so it's about this idea of like where the center of being is, where we're where we make our emotional decisions, right? And so for ancient people, the, like I uh, described earlier, this was in the reins or essentially the bowels, right? And in, in, just in your gut, right? In your gut. Okay. Well, now in modern times, we're so smart now, right? So we know that we that all this stuff happens in our brains, whereas they literally thought it happened in your gut. Again, two things. Number one. The phenomenological language. Why do we still today call it your gut? Are you seeing the fireworks behind me, or am I? I, I, I am. You must have, I said, must something have said something really magical. special. I didn't know that. Congratulations, Amen. way That's to great. go! So, uh, if you're watching on video, that <laughs> was really fun. Um, <coughs> Everyone watching just witnessed a god. They did uh, apparently. It was <laughs> miraculous, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and so uh, right, ancient people literally believed this, and yet in modern times, we 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 know that we think with our minds. Uh, except for a couple things. Number one, again, if you're writing in 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 ancient times, um, like don't you feel like you we still we talk about gut decisions for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like you actually feel it in your gut. You don't actually feel it up here when you're trying to make a decision and figure out what's right or what's wrong. You get anxious. You get this feeling in your stomach, mm -hmm. right? And and whenever you say that you want to make a decision that you don't necessarily have evidence for, but you just feel right, that feeling. They call it your gut. It comes from it comes from your gut. Well, we are actually with more and more modern science learning lots of things. For instance, we know now that there are direct neuron pathways and direct connections between your brain and your gut. That your gut is sending signals to your brain, and vice versa, um, uh, about the way that you feel and about like, you know, for helping you make some of those decisions and things like that. So like, it actually turns out the more we learn about modern science that like the ancient people were kind of right about that. Like even scientifically speaking, you really do make decisions in, in your gut. And the second thing I was going to say on that is the way you eat and everything can actually affect that. Uh, there was a recent talk that I heard that went into into this idea that like your gut microbiome actually has a lot to do with influencing your mood, how you react to certain things and certain decisions that you make. Uh, and so even your food can affect those things. And so that's because uh, uh, of your gut. So, so we kind of have this weird 
thing going on where on the one hand, mm-hmm. we don't want to say that the Bible is a modern science textbook. On the other hand, we don't want to say that it was an ancient science textbook. It's mainly a book about God's plan for humanity and God's plan for reality. At the same time, we have this some really cool specific examples we can point to where the Bible seems to get an awful lot right about what we know in modern times. Um, One final example on that, and then I'll let you kind of chime in here, is, uh, and again, I don't believe in the Big Bang. I'm a young age creationist, so I don't believe in the Big Bang theory as a specific model, but I do believe that the... um, that the earth and everything was created ex nihilo. So from nothing um, and out of, out of nothing uh, by essentially the word and the, the speech of God. And the Bible says that the, uh, that which is in uh, visible is, is made from that, which was invisible. Genesis one, of course, teaches in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the best of modern science that we do have suggests that this, earth and this universe must have been created by a cause outside of this earth and this universe. And that cause must have had enough power to do that. And so uh, since the universe is the sum total of all power and all energy that we possibly uh, know of, then whatever was the creator of the universe must have had more power than the universe and so would therefore by definition be all powerful and you can sort of run that logic through the whole gamut of things and what you basically end up with is a cause for the universe that fits the attributes of god so while i don't want to look at the bible and say this is a science textbook i want to do the exact opposite i want to say this is a this is a book of history this is a book of theology this is god's story (coughs) that he's inviting us into i also want to look at the bible and say this is a book that reflects reality in many different ways. Yeah, um, I guess two two things. One kind of a, a funny thing, I guess, is uh, just like the Bible using ex nihilo, um, making everything visible that was invisible or invisible to visible, yeah. um, and that, that there actually was a definite beginning to creation. I was watching a video where um, John Lennox was talking with Richard Dawkins, and John Lennox said the Bible had it right, that there was a beginning. And Dawkins said, well, there's a 50% chance of that. And okay, there's some truth to that. But yeah. like for everything else that you said too, um, that the life is in the blood, the washing of hands, all this stuff that doesn't explicitly say, hey, if you don't wash your hands, people are going to die because during surgery. Like it didn't explicitly sure. say that, but there's so many implicit truths that if you take, okay, the Bible got it 50 there's a 50-50 chance and it got it right there, 50-50 yeah. chance and it got it right there. And you just keep piling it and piling it on. How many times can you say there's a 50% chance that they got it right? on every single time exactly just kind of a a fun little observation there and then second even without i get what you're saying too you um there's so many views where like okay here's like this i guess you almost call it a subtle hint where god's kind of talking to humans in the future here directly without even wiping out that just appreciating the fact that bible got a lot of cool stuff right that you're right people just did not know at that time for all the reasons that you stated Mm -hmm. And so there's just a lot of truth baked into there that people were describing or even just kind of language that they were using for whatever reason, whether God directly inspired them to use those specific words at that time or if this person was just moved in a certain way for whatever reason. It's just uh, it's a really cool observation that pe- that us today can appreciate things that we do see today that people back then did not realize. Mm. So, yeah, it's a very interesting um, dynamic there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So as we as we begin to wrap this up, there's one kind of other uh, big thing actually that I that I wanted to to, to hit on here, and um, it's it's 
it's the idea that the the proper context for the Bible is the time when the Bible was written. This is sort of what we started talking about at the beginning, and, and we, we went on a tangent a little bit. <laughs> but it's all bit. important, and, and so I want to I want to I do want to kind of close. Uh, on this and talk about that it's important to remember that the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. And uh, this, my, my favorite way to demonstrate this principle is just with the book of Philemon, right? The book of Philemon is clearly a letter that was written literally to a person by the name of Philemon about this, <laughs> yes, this yeah. slave named Onesimus, or I like to call him one Simus because that's what it looks like anyway. So this slave named uh, Onesimus. So very clearly, this one letter uh, was written to Philemon, but because it's part of the accepted canon of Scripture, which is another whole discussion, uh, it is written. Oof, yeah, man. I know. It, it was written for us. We there are things that we can learn from the Book of Philemon, and one just very practical one is a lot of the, the sort of Christian argument and idea and understanding moving away from the concept of slavery comes from the way that that the slave Onesimus was talked about and treated in the Bible. The idea was to move away from that. And so because of that book that was written to somebody else, slavery, uh, like that was a big contributor to slavery uh, eventually being abolished. And so like, that's a huge point of how something that was written to somebody else can still be written for us. And it's important that we, um, that we view this, this ancient lens of the Bible because the context for the Bible, like there's a lot in the modern day, there is a lot of um, Christianity that is interpreted through church tradition. Now, very interestingly, you and me, we sort of grew up in a um, in, in a church context uh, that historically actually doesn't give that much weight to church tradition, right? And and so that's what's kind of interesting. Yeah, right. A lot of Protestants are, you know, they grew up in Calvinist churches or, or whatever, and so they read a lot of church fathers, and they read a lot of Calvin and, and Luther mm. and people like that. Growing up, I, I didn't I didn't have that. Uh, we were always pointed yep. directly back to the scriptures. Now, I don't necessarily agree with everything that the people taught that I grew up with, but what they did right is they always pointed back to to the scriptures and, and looked at the scriptures as the context for how we should understand. It doesn't matter what a man says. Think about in Acts 17 when the Apostle Paul goes to the Bereans, okay? He goes to, to start talking about them. And what does the Bible say about them? The Bible says that even when the Apostle Paul came to the Bereans, they didn't just take the Apostle Paul at his word. And this was the Apostle Paul. What did they do? Mm. They searched the scriptures to see whether these things were so. So the right answer is always to go back to the scriptures, which is why you're not going to hear me and Alex talk very much about the church fathers or about what Calvin thought or about mm. what Luther thought. We're not talking about the Puritans. We're not talking about the <coughs> Reformation. We're not talking about the 1950s. We're going all the way back to the original context where the Bible was written. That 1,600-year period or so during the time when the Bible was being written and then the thousands of years that sort of envelop that time period, that's when we're talking about. And so you're going to hear us like you know, really stick to that and not really look at modern understandings of things and, and modern like church history and tradition. Not that we don't think there's some value in tradition and some value in church history. Yeah. There is. It's just not how you interpret the Bible. <clears throat> 
I think that's a really good point. And it's not that we disregard all the teachings of, you know, the quote unquote church fathers, you know, a lot of them wrote some really good work, helped to explain a lot of stuff. We definitely have great respect for people who, you know, were, I guess you can say pioneers in that way, but absolutely right. I always think it's funny. Some people will go immediately to the church fathers and there'll be like a squabble for like a 20 minute discussion on this church father said this and this said that. And I'm just thinking, okay, maybe what they're saying might be helpful to understand what's in scripture, but shouldn't you just like try to go to a couple verses and work it out that way. Um, Another thing too is someone watching might say, well, you guys seem to uh, fall on your knees and worship um, Heiser quite a bit. (laughs) So to uh, touch on that point for just a second, that I actually think that's a pretty good and fair challenge because that's definitely something where a lot of um, Steve's in my worldview is shaped from. I'll say two things. You can disagree maybe with what Heiser is saying about the ancient worldview, but we, what we kind of look to a lot at Heiser and what he's written is that we think that it does fit very well with what the original context was. So he's not saying, hey, here's what the church fathers were saying in the 1500s. He's saying, no, here's what the Israelites were saying. So you can maybe disagree on the points that he has about that, but we're trying to kind of listen to what people have put together about what that ancient context is. And I think Steve and I, too, are kind of to the point a lot where I think in our last couple episodes or definitely the last one, I don't think we really reference anything specifically that Heiser has done or said. We kind of, I think that we opened up the scriptures a lot and kind of connected the dots a lot that way. Mm -hmm. So yes, there are definitely people that Steve and I read a lot about, we talk a lot about, but in the end, we definitely want to go to the Bible. And I know there's a lot of stuff that um, Steve disagrees with on Heiser. I do, yes. um, Anyway, I, yeah. I just I just think that's a really good clarifying point there. So. Yeah, I, I credit, uh, you know, I love Dr. Heiser um, and I miss him and I wish he was still on the surf teaching um, instead of uh, instead of enjoying his place in the council. Um, but, you know, how selfish. Are you? Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, but there's a ton of stuff I disagree with Heiser on. I, I do. I, I disagree with him on stuff on the nature of inerrancy. I disagree with him on Hebrew cosmology. Um, I disagree with him on um you know, the, the creation debate. Um, I even disagree with some of the attitudes that he takes towards certain things, you know? So, um, you know, Heiser is, is not some, uh, God to be worshiped or anything, but he is an aggregator of, of content. Again, the materials that he came up with, very little of that was original thinking on his part. He spent most of his life pointing yes. towards other people and that's evident in his books and, and his podcasts everywhere. He admits it, and he shows his work. He references things. He gives you access to uh, different papers and such that he's uh, referencing. If you listen to his podcast, most of the time during his podcast, he's referencing the work of other scholars. Mike was a popularizer. He was a scholar and a researcher, but he was mostly an aggregator of content and a popularizer, making it understandable to layman. So the reason why we might reference Heiser a lot is because he's sort of a gateway. It's, it's, It's easy to reference his work and his thinking to help you think like this because that was his public platform um but the reality the deeper reality behind what he was talking about is stuff that's been discussed in christian scholarship for for decades it's just nobody talks about it on sunday morning so my grandma wouldn't have a clue about any of the stuff that we (laughs) talk about on this podcast episode but christians have been talking about it for centuries and centuries before them um in our modern sensibilities you know some of that spiritual worldview stuff has kind of gone off to his side. And I think, by the way, it's another topic that we need to write down for the future because there are some people who have criticized Heiser. Essentially, I'm just going to oversimplify it for the sake of this podcast because it's already getting long. But 
essentially thinking that Heiser is a liberal, right? Or that he's, you know, he's got this this um, new agey type stuff that he's into. Well, yeah. the, the reality is, is Dr. Heiser has all kinds of series online with him talking with other people who came out of the new age movement and are now Christians. And and, and yeah. actually sharing um, an understanding that they were able to have because of their associations with the New Age movement that gives it more teeth to the spiritual reality, looking at it from the Christian lens against those things because they were demonic. So there are these public criticisms about Heiser that sort of like want to place him in some kind of weird New Age camp, whereas... He wasn't like that at all, and he wasn't into the deliverance ministry or the hyper-charismatic stuff or any of that. He was simply looking at the text of the Bible and saying, this is what it seems to say. Here's what these other very smart people have to say about it as well, and the puzzle pieces all seem to fit. So I'm very glad that you brought that up because by no means do I want anyone to think that you know this is basically <coughs> the um, uh, Dr. Heiser regurgitation show. That's not the point of it at all, yeah. but it is fair to say that we will reference him frequently because of – uh, how instrumental he's been in both of our uh, in both of our journeys. So, yeah. And having said all that, I think the final thing that I kind of thoughts I have is uh, Steve and I definitely welcome um, challenges to what we're saying. Yeah, we were just going through the comments tonight on what people were saying, and we we're just really impressed with some of the questions that some people asked. Um, just really interesting observations, and we took down some notes on some issues that we want to tackle. And so um, Steve and I are definitely, I'd say we're fairly set in our ways, but we still like to discuss disagreements and view what people, um, good challenges to our faith. So um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so definitely feel free to challenge Steve and I on if you disagree with something that we have, because ultimately Steve and I want to get to the truth. Right. And we want to do it in a very fun way, but also a very serious way too. So yeah. trying to have that balance there yeah i like to think about it like we're not we're bible nerds we're not our interpretation of the bible nerds right i want to know what the truth mm -hmm. is and i know yeah. alex does too and so we we welcome your comments we welcome the discussion down there uh there's a lot of comments and only two of us so mm -hmm. we may not be able to like immediately <laughs> yes. respond to every little thing but just know that we are definitely looking mm -hmm. to the comments for questions to answer 100%. show suggestions uh challenges to come across so um just, just just be nice about it. You know what I mean? Like, like just, tr just <laughs> don't be mean. Don't be a butthead. You know what I mean? Like, let's just have some nice dialogue and just, just, just really, you know, you don't have to, to come into the comments acting like you're a big know-it-all and whatever. Like if you're a Christian, we're just trying to figure this thing out together. If you're not a Christian, yeah. then just don't even comment. Like this is really not the, 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 the kind of podcast for non-Christians to even be engaging with. Yeah. You shouldn't care about this stuff. Okay. Find something else. You know, if you're a Christian and you're engaging in the YouTube comments, <laughs> be nice about it. Be brotherly about it about it and we'll yeah, just have a conversation and steve and i know we're slightly foolish so you don't no need to amen to uh hurt our uh thinking or as someone so graciously put it our cognitive yeah. ability to think but so, you know uh, who else knew that you know who <laughs> else knew that the apostle paul so i feel like i'm on good mm. ground wow so, well we know who steve feels like today, so. <laughs> well, just saying all right see this was a uh this is a great episode any final thoughts on it or um i think that kind of that wraps it up for me on uh what i have yep, to really say. i think that's it there's there's a few different rabbit holes we can go down but i think mm. we're going to save those for yep. later episodes and i really said all i needed to say here so i'm, I'm i think this is going to be a good introduction to why we're looking at the bible this way <clears throat> excellent well thank you everyone for watching really appreciate all the comments so far they're great please like this video subscribe share keep watching yeah. um we definitely want to be a blessing to everyone listening and uh, yeah really appreciate it all right see you guys later thank you see you